Well, thank you, Sister Joy. Uh, loving all the lights and the room decor. Uh, let's keep all of our college students in prayer as they're hibernating and studying for finals uh, for the next few weeks. Well, welcome to our Renewal Sunday service. My name is Dan, one of the pastors on staff. Uh, Renewal family, hope you're persevering and doing well. Uh, if anyone's new and uh, joining us for the first time, looking for a church, uh, thank you for tuning in as we're now um, three weeks deep into the Advent season uh, where we're reflecting uh, on the meaning of the coming of Christ uh, as he was a baby born in Bethlehem uh, on that first Christmas day, which is now about 12 days away. So parents, you can start singing the 12 days of Christmas with your children uh, starting today. Well, I'm excited to bring this message to you this morning as this was definitely a really good personal message for me, something I really needed. And I really felt the Lord uh, really drawing me near to Him uh, in my time of preparation. And so as I pray for us uh, and get this word started, I'll invite you uh, to pray as well. Uh, why don't you ask the Lord uh, in a quiet moment uh, to declutter your mind and your heart <clears throat> Uh, and so that you can make room uh, for, for Christ and His Word and so that His joy uh, would flood your soul completely. Father, that's our prayer, uh, that what we need on this day is more than just nice-sounding words, good ideas, uh, sentimental feelings, God. What we really need is truth from You uh, that can change our lives. Lord, we see ourselves and see the things that we struggle with and we realize how weak and needy we are and that our only help comes from you. And that's what the Christmas message is all about, that you came down from heaven to earth uh, to reach a lost people, a people in need of mercy. So I, God, I pray for anyone uh, who is lacking joy, hope, and love this season. Uh, would you allow all of us uh, to have a deeper, clearer look at our Savior, born as a baby, and find renewed strength, courage, and confidence in Christ today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, today uh, in our passage, we're looking at the birth of John the Baptist and the prophecy uh, lifted up by his father, Zechariah. And so the one-sentence summary of my message today is this. True Christmas joy comes from God's mercy and power and results in heartfelt praise. And from that, the three things I want to look at are joy restored, power displayed, and praise lifted. So when we read and think about the birth narratives of Christ and all the accompanying stories, including this one, we see right away that it's all about the restoration of joy. And we can learn as a teaching point that this joy is not just a result of circumstances, but it comes to us as a result of God's mercy. All the events of Luke chapter 1 were taking place during a rather dark time uh, for God's people Israel. They had been living under uh, Roman rule, which was uh, a consequence of the unfaithfulness of their ancestors. They were paying the price for that. They had been waiting forever and longing for the promised Messiah to deliver them from the Romans and to be restored to their former glory, which they had experienced many years ago under King David, when joy was abundant in Israel. You know, when we go through rough times, uh, it's natural for us to long for the good old days, right? And I think for a lot of us, the good old days are any day, uh, any of the days before this COVID pandemic. You know, once in a while, I'll be scrolling through my camera roll and I'm appalled uh, at the crowded places that I used to hang out, including the lobby in this church building, uh, big events, retreats where people are on top of each other, uh, hanging out at 
packed baseball stadiums where I'm walking through crowds of people without any fear of consequence. And it really, really does seem uh, like happier times as we look back. And that's what the Israelites were doing, looking back at the good old days instead of looking forward in anticipation to the best days that were ahead of them. And so there was a lot of angst and despair and they were at a point now where any news would have been good news. In verse 57, something wonderful finally happens that people could smile about. The time came for Elizabeth to give birth to a son. And what a joyous occasion this was. You know, these days I feel like lately, every other week I'm congratulating someone on social media for their baby being born. And it's always such a, a great, happy occasion. But this was different. As we learned two weeks ago, this was a fulfillment of a prophetic word. And just to refresh our memory here, at the beginning of this chapter, an angel appeared to Zechariah the priest at the time he and his wife Elizabeth had no children because she was barren. But that day, the angel prophesied to him that they would in fact at their old age bear a child. And listen to the language the angel used back in verse 14. It says, you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord. And he had some more prophetic words about what he'll do with his life. He'll turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go uh, in the spirit of power of Elijah to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And we'll come back to this a bit later, but this prophecy that day was fulfilled. The child was born in verse 57. And in verse 58, we read about the joy that came along with it. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced. Now, the joy uh, that Elizabeth and her friends experienced that day, on one level was, of course, because it was tied to this miracle birth. But the deeper reason for the joy was because of what Luke wrote here, that the Lord showed Elizabeth great mercy. Let's think about that for a bit. You know, I've thought about and spoken on the topic of Advent joy in the past, and I can't get away from this idea that the reason why so many of us uh, tend to lack joy or in general in our lives during the holiday season is because we're looking for joy in all the wrong places. We might be basing our joy simply on reaching our earthly goals, right? When we reach our goals, we're happy at least for the time being. When we don't reach our goals or fail to hit the mark, we're unhappy and restless. You know, lately I've been, uh, uh, I just started watching this popular K-drama called Startup. Uh, it's been a lot of fun, but man, as I'm watching these, these kids, you know, they're chasing their dreams, uh, setting these lofty goals for themselves to build a successful business from the ground up, you know, where the competition is fierce and they're determined. And though they're wide-eyed and hopeful with every setback and rejection, they're deflated and they're broken and looks like a rough go of it. And as I'm watching this, man, I'm so glad I'm not in their shoes. We'll see how it all turns out, but maybe you can resonate with that, with the many other goals you might have set for yourself. It could be financial goals, you know, academic goals at school, you know, personal fitness goals, uh, maybe goals you set for your kids. And nothing wrong with trying to achieve these things, but maybe this has become everything to us and we don't know how to handle failure or delays. Maybe we tie our happiness to the attention and the validation that we receive from others. Maybe we tie our happiness to our comfort, especially during the holidays. How stress-free, quiet, tidy, and peaceful our lives and our days can be. 
And the minute something goes out of our control or out of line, we can get angry, lose our joy, become anxious, and we learn that we just don't know how to suffer well. If that's you and you find yourself in a season of sadness, misery, lacking joy, can I invite you this day to search your heart? What have you allowed to be your master? The one who determines and tells you whether or not you can be happy today. What truth other than the gospel have you bowed down to? What are you demanding to make you happy and to keep you happy every day? A little over three weeks ago, I had a very good reason to be happy. Uh, God answered my prayer and the prayers of many through the years, and I am now finally a married man. Had a wonderful wedding. Uh, God has given me the most wonderful woman as a life partner <clears throat> to journey through life together. And uh, we're just so thankful uh, for the love and support uh, that many of you have shown us. And as good as it's been so far, uh, we both already know that this wonderful new circumstance can't be our ultimate happiness. You know, there will be days where the joys of marriage will come naturally. There will be days where we're going to have to work at it and fight for it. And so if this or anything else other than God have somehow become our ultimate source of joy, then we will forever be frustrated when that joy doesn't come right away. Because even the best things we have, our most treasured relationships, they're not perfect and they're bound to frustrate us. It's all vanity, which we spent a whole series on through the book of Ecclesiastes. And so for Elizabeth, she lived in a time where if you were a woman, your worth was tied to your ability to bear children and provide a family. And even though they had been faithfully devoted to the Lord, serving Him, this was surely a source of pain for them. And so while finally being able to bear a child was a joy in and of itself, it was being shown mercy, understanding that they were given a blessing that they didn't deserve, that they avoided a judgment that they did deserve. All of this were signs of God's mercies to them and they were joyful, which shows us that at the end of the day, God is all about our joy. He didn't create us to be miserable. He is joy personified. And throughout the scriptures, we're commanded in the places like Psalms to rejoice and be glad in Him. And when we find that to be hard, instead of blaming God, we should be asking ourselves some of these deep questions. And let me ask you, how often do you reflect on God's mercy to you, especially what He has shown you by forgiving your sins and adopting you into His family? Are you cognizant and aware every day about the wonder of the cross, the fact that we've been forever delivered from hell? And that is the heart of our testimony in our story that we should be thinking about and sharing as often as we can. As Christians, we should constantly, constantly be asking, where would we be? apart from God. His mercy is as endless as the sea as we sing, and so much of true Christian joy is found when we reflect on the bad news of how sinful we were, and then thanking God that in His grace that He has rescued us from it. And the problem is we want our joy and happiness right away, and for it to come easy without having to reflect on anything bad or having to work for it. We don't want to admit we're sinful. We don't want to ask for help because we're so used to helping ourselves to whatever we please. But in this Advent season, we would do well to take time to humbly admit our need for a Savior and there find His mercies. 
know, Pastor Bill Smith, uh, the pastor of Renewal Mainline, he tweeted this a few days ago, and I really uh, was blessed by this thought, that joy doesn't ignore frustration or brokenness. Instead, it can enter into them because it sees beyond them to a God who is rescuing the universe in spite of them. And that's all because our God is gracious and merciful. Friends, may this be our joy, hope, and meditation during this Advent season and beyond. Secondly, power displayed. You know, the power of God was actively at work here in this chapter from the very, very beginning. And the main thing, obviously, being the miracle conception of Jesus to a young virgin girl and also uh, the birth of John the Baptist uh, to a barren woman. But let's go back to the beginning of this chapter again. Zechariah, uh, the father here, did not at first believe the words of the angel, the, the prophetic words that he was going to bear a son. And yes, he was a devoted priest who loved God and was obedient to God, but throughout his life, he's seen some things. You know, he's interceded for people whose lives were a mess. There was brokenness everywhere. It was a dark time and he had been through a lot. And sure, uh, he definitely learned in his ancient seminary how throughout the Old Testament, there were childless women like Sarah, Rebecca, and Hannah who God provided for and they were able to bear a child. And yes, in theory, he may have believed that God was capable of providing for him and Elizabeth. But at that moment, whether it was a lapse in his faith or his heart had been hardened through the years, he just couldn't believe the words he was hearing were true. And he responds in verse 18, how shall I know this? I'm an old man. My wife is advanced in years. He wants proof. He doesn't have time. He's too old to be playing games. But the angel responded to that by saying, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that everything I just said takes place. That's pretty crazy. And those words came true. And Zechariah, he had to spend the better part of nine months, nine whole months. I mean, think about it. Nine months ago from today was March 13th, 2020. That was right as uh, the lockdown restrictions uh, of this pandemic were beginning to take place. And I look back at the day and these were, this was the week that people were beginning to crowd every Costco in the area. Toilet paper and, and wipes and hand sanitizers and cleaning products were flying off the shelves. Our college students were supposed to be returning from their spring breaks only to be sent home. That was a long time ago. Nine months is a lot of time. And now imagine not being able to speak. And from what we see in this passage, the fact that people had to use sign language to communicate with Zechariah, so he was deaf as well. Imagine not having been able to speak or hear during that time span. You know, I can only imagine what Zechariah felt every day as he woke up for nine months, as he was watching as Elizabeth's baby bump was growing and growing, as he went about his business, his work, his priestly duties, thinking to himself, man, man, what was I thinking? And why did I say that? How could I have doubted God? But we see here today that this was exactly what he needed. <clears throat> you know, so often in our lives, God in his love and wisdom, he'll bring us through a dark valley, through a time where he takes things away from us that are precious, that it hurts to have those things taken away. But his great purpose in all that is so that we would learn to trust him more that we would believe completely the words that He has spoken to us. Maybe as you're watching this today, you've been self-sufficient your whole life, whether you're a Christian or not. You've lived trusting in your own instincts, your abilities, your own convictions and views, and 
There's been very little to no room in your heart to trust God with your life, and it's been difficult for you to surrender and to give everything up in your life to trust God and follow Him. And so if you happen to be in a dark valley, feeling helpless, and it's been frustrating lately, God may very well today be getting you to focus your eyes on Him, to surrender your life to Him. For you teenagers and youth students, as you're watching this, Maybe this whole year has been a very, very difficult time for you. You know, being in a valley, not being able to see your friends every day, stuck at home. It's been like torture for a lot of you. But you're not too young so that God isn't working in your life to get you to trust Him more. You know, learn at your age now not to trust in yourself or what your own ideas of happiness are. Read the Bible. Read it a lot. And learn to live your life as God would have you. Trust me, you'll find much freedom there. For the rest of us, let's look to Christ, our Savior, who loved us and died for us. May we all open our hearts and allow Him to give us grace to trust Him more for everything. And this is what God did exactly for Zechariah. And here's the proof. That day, every single thing the angel prophesied earlier in chapter 1 came true. Right? The Word of God was fulfilled in, chapter, in verse 64. It was clearly God's hand that opened His mouth, loosened His tongue, and enabled Him to speak. But we have to notice one more detail here, that all that didn't happen right away or when we expected it to. The expectation was that Zechariah would finally be able to speak when his son was born. But here we are, not on the day of John's birth, but according to verse 59, it was on the day of his circumcision. So it was customary for the Jews to have their newborn sons circumcised, circumcised, which was a sign and seal of the covenant, showing that these children are entering into the covenant community. We hear this uh, at all of our baptism services. And so this was on the eighth day of the child's life, so a whole week had passed. Right? Why that day? Let's take a look. It's on the day of circumcision and celebration that this is typically when everyone would learn the name of the child, which is also very significant. In this case, everyone there expected the child to be named after his father, to carry on the family name. It was a big Jewish custom to do so. And so they expected him to be named Zechariah, Jr., the second. But remember back in verse 13, the angel said that Zechariah was to call this child John. And it's actually Elizabeth first, in verse 60, who first makes the correction. And she's very convinced and adamant about it. He shall be called John. And so as expected, all these people, especially relatives, they have an opinion about everything. They express their disapproval in verse 61, saying that, hey, nobody in your family has that name. And so they appeal to Zechariah himself. And to the surprise, he confirms what his wife has just said. And where Elizabeth said, he shall be called John, Zechariah, uh, needing to write this down on a tablet since he can't speak, he, he writes on his ancient iPad there. He says, his name is John, verse 63, expressing that the name has already been given to him. It's a done deal. And as a result of this, the people began to wonder. Clearly, for Zechariah, having been mute for nine months, had a tremendous impact on his faith and his heart to obey God. And it's interesting to note that it was at this very moment in the declaration of this baby's name that Zechariah's mouth was opened up and he was finally able to speak. God here responded to Zechariah's obedient act of faith and he was able in that moment to experience this wonderful act of healing 
which shows us this very simple lesson here that when we act in faith, which we heard last week is ultimately a gift from God, His power shows up. He transforms us. He saves us. He works miracles in our lives. We're able to experience Him on deeper, more profound levels. Now, let's be clear. You know, salvation is by grace through faith alone. God can choose to do whatever He wants. We're not in the business of forcing His hand and and changing His mind about things all the time. We don't believe that works righteousness is consistent with the teaching of the gospel and the scriptures. Faith is ultimately a gift from God. No man can come to Christ and obey Him unless the Father enables him. But after we're saved, we're called to live lives that are marked by faith and trust in the one who has already done everything to save us. And at times we're called to radical faith, to do things that don't make human sense at times. We're called to live in obedience, all out of gratitude for salvation that has already been accomplished for us. When we don't, we can miss out on so much of what God offers, living in His peace, walking in close fellowship with Him, sensing His favor over us. And that's what we want, to be in a better position to experience all the fullness of God. And think about a relationship between a parent and their child. When the child is throwing tantrums, being disobedient and rebellious, tossing food and Legos everywhere, it's just natural that there's going to be a strain on that relationship and something will always feel missing. That child is missing out on the parent's favor, assuming that the parent wants what's best for the child. But when they're doing everything that is consistent with the parent's heart for them, there's a deeper dimension of trust and joy. For Zechariah, we see a huge difference in him. At first, he genuinely struggled to believe God. And now, by the the power and grace of God, he believes every word of what was said to him. Can I ask you, where are you in your faith journey today? In this Advent season, are you really convinced of who God is and how he is revealed to you in the scriptures? And that the pathway to true spiritual freedom is to surrender your rights, to trust him and obey every word he says. If you feel distant from the Lord, whether you're a Christian or not, in our heart and prayer uh, for you is that you would ask Him in faith to draw near to you. Ask Him to make His truth and His ways even clearer to you. And hear the call to come near to Him. Come to the manger. Fall on your knees. Hear the angel voices to behold your glorious King born as a baby so that one day He could be the perfect sacrifice to save you from your sins. And as you emerge from that scene, ask for the faith to fully trust Him. Friends, as we do this, may we experience His power in greater measures. And finally, praise lifted. So as soon as Zechariah's mouth was opened, the first words out of his mouth, which shows what had been on his heart the entire time, was to praise God for all that he had done and to speak of prophecies that came straight from the heart of God. You know, this past week in my uh, Psalms devotional by Tim Keller from Psalm 136, uh, I love this quote that he wrote. Ethical compliance without fervent worship, praise, means you've given God your will, but not your heart. And that's something that is so true and definitely something we could all learn from here. As I read verses 68 through 79, you know, if the words that Zechariah lifted up here didn't come out right away, I think I would have understood. You know, this poor guy, he had been mute for nine months. It's like, come on, let's give him some space. Let's let him process where he's at, what he's been through, kind of figure out what he wants to say and just give him some time here. But 
He doesn't pause or hesitate at all, nor does he take a minute to hear, listen to his own voice, which I'm sure he missed. We're told in verse 67 that being filled with the Spirit, having been touched by the Spirit of God, he offers up these words of blessing, this benedictus, speaking of God and what he's done. In verse 68 through 69, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And he goes on and on from there in the next few verses to praise God for fulfilling his promises, saving them from their enemies, showing mercy, giving them uh, the privilege to serve him without fear all their days. And Zechariah there, he cannot contain himself. All this time in quietness, he's reflected on what the birth of his child meant. That it was more than just an opportunity to build a family, extend the family line. There was right there for him a greater redemptive purpose. The birth of John was tied to the great plan of salvation that God had been unfolding way before they were even around. And to ultimately point to Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. How do we know that Zechariah was convinced of this? As we read the rest of the Benedictus, where under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, he is now making prophecies about his own son, echoing the words of the angel, which he originally doubted. Now he's speaking the very same words. Verse 76 to 77, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins. And he goes on to say that Jesus, the true sunlight, will eventually come. Jesus, for whom that John is just a voice in the wilderness, preparing His way, before whom He's unworthy. And Jesus will be the one to give light to those who sit in darkness and guide them into the way of peace. You know, this says a lot, you know, because any decent parent, father or mother, would have their own dreams, wishes, and desires for their children. But Zechariah, he gave all of this up in faith. He went from doubting the words of the angel to becoming a prophetic voice, speaking of the forerunner of Christ. And that is what led him to sing for joy with blessing in his heart. So friends, let me pause and ask you, does joy and praise fill your heart when things happen in your life that only benefit you? Or does your heart rejoice when God's purposes are fulfilled, when you see His great will being done in front of you in your life? What redemptive prayers are you lifting up right now? Maybe we need to start praying bigger prayers in our lives for our children more than for them just to be healthy and get the best grades. Maybe we need to start praying bigger prayers for those who need salvation in our lives. Maybe we need to pray more for our missionaries right now, especially as many of them are waiting for doors to open so that they can get to the field as soon as possible, that God's great kingdom work can be done through them. Maybe if you're a student, you know, whether uh, graduate or undergrad, you're still uh, pursuing that degree, maybe you can pray that God would indeed lead you to the best place, not just so that you can have the easiest job with benefits, be paid well and be safe and comfortable, but so that you'll have more opportunities to share the gospel with people who need it, to help those who are unable to help themselves. And when God works through prayers like these, when we see them yielding results that line up with the heart of God, our faith grows, our joy deepens, and our devotion to God is more powerful.
we can truly, truly be glad every single day of our lives, despite the circumstances that surround us. Friends, let's reflect on these things today in this season and trust in the Lord our God. You know, one practical point I want to offer to you, um, and this is in response to a Gospel Coalition article I read this past week on repentance versus regret. Uh, The link's in the box below, and um, it should be in the chat as well. Um, And it really just uh, spoke to me about the difference between regret and repentance. You know, if we want true joy and freedom from guilt and shame in our lives, we've got to know the difference. You know, regret will crush us because it's self-centered and driven by pride. But repentance, admitting our need for a Savior and finding forgiveness and hope in God, will free us because it's centered on Him and we're truly turning back to Him. Maybe that's something we can practically dwell on as we move from uh, the, uh, just how bad our sins are and what we've been saved from and we see where God is leading us to. Uh, experiencing His forgiveness personal relationship with Him, and ultimately being in heaven with Him forever one day. You know, as I close, um, as I said before, this was a a message that I personally really needed. Uh, It's been a wonderful past few weeks for me, um, and I really, really sensing God's hand of peace and love over my life. A lot to be thankful for and happy about. But none of these things are guaranteed to last beyond a season. In fact, if I make them the ultimate joy and prize of my life, it can potentially leave me even emptier. My prayer uh, is that we can all collectively, as we look at Christ, we can discover a joy and a fulfillment that will endure this pandemic, past the holiday season, and be our strength every day we're alive, because it comes from God. My prayer for all of us as a church, for anyone who's searching for life's meaning, seeking after God, that the joy of Christ's salvation, the message of Christmas, and all the rejoicing that comes with it would pervade your life, give you strength and hope, produce songs, carols, and hymns in your heart all the days of your life until your joy is complete in the new heavens one day. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Father, thank you for these words that you have given to us. Lord, we are empty, uh, weak, vessels that can only really be filled when we come to the fountain of life that is Christ. God, would you draw us by your Spirit? Help us in our weakness to experience your strength in the fulfillment of your promise that we read about. We thank you for what you did for Zechariah in the birth of John the Baptist and all that came about as a result as it speaks to us about the faithfulness of God and his place in the story of redemption and how it ultimately points us to our Savior Jesus Christ in whom if we believe that we will be saved and have eternal life. And every day that we live on earth, we can know a personal relationship with our Savior. We can know a joy that, uh, that, can, that can run deep even when uh, our, we don't reach our goals, our hopes fail, that you are always there and you will never leave or forsake us. God, strengthen us in this and when we go forward with confidence and hope in Jesus' name. And all this we lift up, uh, believing that you are faithful, Uh, Every promise is yes and amen in Jesus Christ, and one day we will reign with you forever. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.